Good evening and welcome to the Capitol Report on NTD Television. I'm Steve Lance. And coming up, after several lengthy hearings, closing arguments in the case of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. We'll have key takeaways from today's testimony. And former President Trump seeking to delay his classified documents trial. This is the Supreme Court agrees to take up his immunity appeals. Where do things stand just months before the next election? Fulton County, Georgia, a hearing on whether to disqualify District Attorney Fannie Willis has concluded today. The judge saying a verdict will arrive within the next two weeks. Here to discuss the legal implications is NTD's legal correspondent, Arlene Richards. Arlene, uh, it's great to have you here with us. So what are some of the key takeaways from today's closing arguments? Well, the defense, of course, is saying that Fannie Willis tried to benefit financially from this big, sprawling RICO case. They point to testimony that she and Nathan Wade made oh, about the relationship, which I they can't. say uh, was not being candid with the court. They're saying that they lied, basically. Um, they're saying that other testimony from other witnesses established that their relationship started before he was hired, uh, whereas the uh, prosecution says that they haven't proved a thing. They, the prosecution says that they haven't proven that the relationship started before 2022, as they said, because the witnesses were, were not very credible. Um, so this is very, a very serious case. I think the judge said he's going to take about two weeks before he makes a decision, because this could have very serious implications for both Fonnie, Wade and Nathan, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade in terms of their, uh, their continued practice as attorneys. There are ethics issues involved here that will probably come about whether he disqualifies them or not. And that's something else that the judge will have to take into consideration. I think one of the arguments by the defense was that even under the professional rules of conduct, that this uh, behavior of theirs in the courtroom is of legal concern. It's of, it's of legal concern, and so therefore it gives the appearance of impropriety. Now, the, the differences between the two sides is that the defense says that they should be they should be disqualified just based on the appearance of impropriety. And they point to the, the lavish trips they took and, and the higher salary he received and the fact that she hired her boyfriend. But the prosecution says, well, you have to show a clear conflict of interest, and you haven't done that here. You can't point to anything here that creates a conflict of interest for the overall case or that the defendants here have been prejudiced as a result of this relationship. So the judge is going to take a look at all of the evidence, all of the uh, testimony that's been heard so far, as well as all of the law that has been introduced, and he's going to have a tough decision to make. So we'll have to see in a week or two what the judge decides. Steve? Indeed, he will have a tough decision to make. Uh, entities. Arlene Richards, really appreciate you joining. Thank you. And joining us now to assess and analyze further the arguments is Will Trackman, uh, General Counsel for Mountain Estates Legal Foundation. Will, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much, Steve. Great to be here. Of course, Will. Uh, let's get right into the substance of these closing arguments in the case uh, to disqualify the Georgia, uh, the Fulton County DA there, Fannie Willis. Uh, the judge saying that the attorneys may assume cell phone records uh, will be admitted into the evidence if they want it to be. Does that signal that he will admit those records into evidence and how damaging might those be? Well, the judge seemed inclined to consider everything he needed to consider. At the outset of the hearing, he was talking about how he might already have enough information, but if he doesn't, 
he's willing to expand the record and talk more about what evidence he might uh, need in order to get to that decision. Those cell phone records are damning because they indicate that Ms. Wade, uh, sorry, Ms. Ms. Willis and Mr. Wade were together on a number of occasions, and the attorneys who are favoring disqualification today made the point that he couldn't identify any other reason why he was so close to Ms. Willis's neighborhood so so many times. I think it was something like 23 times. So without some other uh, exculpatory reason for why he was so close on so many occasions with a cell phone, it really does draw an inference that the two of them were together and maybe engaged in activity together. And to your point, Steve Sadow, uh, Trump's attorney representing the former president, presented these records indicating uh, that Wade was near the location, as you mentioned, where Willis was staying. Uh, this evidence also supports the accounts of witnesses, including Wade's previous lawyer, Terrence Bradley, and his friend, and a uh, former friend of Willis, Robin Yerty. The judge inquired whether the defense had sufficiently met the burden of proof through a preponderance of the evidence. Based on this presentation, do you believe this uh, defense attorney has successfully fulfilled their burden of proof today? Well, it's a good question of which party bears the burden. So the attorney is favoring the, the disqualification, President Trump's attorneys and the others were saying, all you need is an appearance of impropriety. You don't need uh, lock solid evidence that there was something absolutely going on. But for the public to have confidence in the justice system, they have to be able to see these prosecutors and understand that they're representing the state's interests and the interest in criminal justice, not their own personal interests, not their financial interests. And so in that case, I really did think that the attorneys favoring disqualification did a good job laying out all the potential conflicts. So there's not just the political conflict that Ms. Will, uh, Ms. Willis, Willis wants to bring this case politically for her own brand, but also the financial conflict that she took a vacation with Mr. Wade with money used uh, in order to, uh, from the prosecution. And also just generally that she had given a speech uh, where she had referred to the defense attorneys as racist for wanting to disqualify her. So it wasn't just that they identified one or two conflicts. I think there was something like six different conflicts that they identified as potential. So I would definitely say they put the evidence out there for the judge. If he's inclined to rule in their favor, I think he's got the, the evidence that he needs. Indeed, there were multiple conflicts. And uh, when it comes to the monetary side, the defense uh, contended that Willis and Wade were unable to justify the whereabouts of somewhere around $9,000, highlighting that Willis lacked any documentation for her um, alleged cash reimbursements. Um, to Wade, can, you know, considering this argument, your interpretation of the judge's inquiries regarding the significance of that missing amount, and at what point does the sum become substantial enough to warrant disqualification? Well, the second question is a really good question because the parties disagreed about materiality. That is, how much, uh, how much money, how much financial gain has to be at play here for there to be a conflict of interest? So it's not as though Ms. Willis is um, poor, $9,200 is $9,200, but is that enough to trigger a financial conflict of interest? But the other side of the coin is that the judge has the ability to weigh credibility as part of this process. And personally, I don't find it all that credible that someone would have $9,200 in cash and not be able to account for it, either being it deposited in a bank or doing something with it. And so the judge is gonna be able to consider credibility as part of his analysis. And here, that's a glaring factor uh, that really undermines the ability of these folks to say, we're telling the truth, this cash uh, reimbursement happened and so there was no financial gain whatsoever. Unless you have a receipt or some other evidence that it really occurred, it's hard to believe.
Well, the defense lawyers uh, contended that the affair between Willis and Wade was strategically planned for Willis's uh, advantage, alleging uh, that they engaged in fraudulent activities involving the court when their relationship was discovered, particularly concerning their cash transactions. So the defense argues that these actions constitute part of a broader pattern of misconduct, warranting their dismissal uh, from the case. How convincing do you find these arguments? Well, the key question in all of those is, is there a conflict of interest? Are the prosecutors acting on behalf of the state and in the interest of criminal justice? Or, on the other hand, are they acting in their own personal interests? And so to the extent that Mr. Wade is getting paid with government dollars in order to take vacations with Ms. Willis, that's a conflict of interest. And I think the judge here is going to weigh, again, the materiality, how much of a conflict is this, and what is the appearance to the public? Because even if at the end of the day, the prosecution is able to say, look, they haven't proved necessarily that there is a financial benefit to this case, it's still the uh, ability of the judge to disqualify Ms. Wade, Mr. Wade and Ms. Willis on the basis that there's an appearance of impropriety. The public needs to have confidence in our justice system in order for it to function appropriately. And without that confidence, it just won't work. And so here I think the judge is going to think you know, the conflict uh, exists uh, because of all these different factors, and there's no way of disproving the, the uh, appearance of impropriety. So, so tr Trump attorney uh, Steve Sadow highlighted Willis's second ethical breach, emphasizing doubts about their honesty regarding the affair's timeline, urging the court to trust Terrence Bradley's text messages as accurate evidence, and raise general concerns about their truthfulness. Based on this, do you believe the evidence presented is sufficient to meet that required proof? And I also want to ask, a, a, I think, a more important question, which is uh, when it comes to the judge there, he's in a rock, he's, he's in between a rock and a hard place, really, uh, in making this decision. How do you see him ultimately, um, you know, handing down any type of decision here? Well, the judge is a good judge. He's making the right record. He's asking the right questions. He's very... Uh, clearly going to think through this. You know, a lot of the time, uh, judges make decisions from the bench. Here, I expected the judge to make a decision from the bench, and he didn't do that. He said, I need time to contemplate all this evidence. I need up to two weeks in order to make a ruling. You know, the interesting thing about Terrence Bradley, the divorce attorney, is that he had these text messages that are in the, um, in the testimony, except his live testimony was completely different. He said, I can't remember. I don't recall sending those text messages. I don't remember the conversation that I had. I don't know when the affair started. I really don't know anything. It's all speculation. And so here it's going to be up to the judge to weigh the hard documents, the text messages that definitely exist with the testimony that occurred before his very own eyes. And he's again going to be able to make credibility determinations as to whether Mr. Bradley was being honest. But here I do think the defense attorneys, the ones who are seeking disqualification, made a good record that those text messages do indicate that the relationship started much, much earlier than uh, Mr. Wade and Ms. Willis allege. Attorney Will Trackman, really appreciate you joining Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Former President Trump today appearing in a Florida court seeking to push back his classified documents case, his lawyer asking the judge to delay the trial until after the general election. The trial is currently set to begin on May 20th. Federal prosecutors sought to push it back to July 8th, just one week before the Republican National Convention. But Trump's lawyers said the former president can't have a fair trial while campaigning. 
They also argued that it would be unfair to prepare for the classified documents trial amid the ongoing hush money case in New York. Today's ruling ended without the judge setting a new trial date. Trump faces several counts of willful retention of national defense information and obstruction. His co-defendants face obstruction charges as well. All three have pleaded not guilty. And joining me now to talk about former President Trump's ongoing legal cases is Hans von Spakovsky. He's an attorney and manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative at the Heritage Foundation. Hans von Spakovsky, thank you so much for joining. Sure, thanks for having me. Of course, uh, Hans, the U.S. Supreme Court this week saying it will review former President Trump's immunity appeal in relation to January 6th, setting oral arguments for April 22nd. This is a victory for President Trump, but you have some on, on the other side, some legal experts saying that he will ultimately lose this immunity appeal. How do you think the Supreme Court will rule, and is there really ultimately any precedent? Uh, I think anyone who says that uh, they're sure he's going to lose uh, is, is wrong about that. The Supreme Court has never uh, issued any kind of decision on whether a president, former president, has immunity from criminal prosecution. But keep in mind, they have determined uh, that a president has immunity from civil actions. And frankly, the same arguments apply uh, in a criminal case, because if a president doesn't have immunity, then uh, he may not be willing to take the kind of often risky and dangerous actions uh, that a president has to take, particularly when safeguarding the, the country. Because otherwise, if he does, uh, when he leaves the presidency, perhaps a new president of the opposing party may say, well, you know, what you did was not justified like a drone strike and instruct his uh, Justice Department to criminally prosecute that former president. Hans, the former president is also the front runner to become the next president, uh, which is unprecedented in, in and of itself. Uh, right. So there's the question of election interference. Could the Supreme Court's uh, review and ultimate ruling delay this trial past the November election? Oh, yeah, I think they could. And, you know, uh, uh, we have the same thing potentially going on uh, actually uh, on Friday today down in Florida because there there's also a hearing being held in the uh, criminal prosecution over the classified documents case. And there uh, Trump's lawyers are asking the court to delay the trial until after the November election. And I think given all of the primaries between now and then, frankly, that would be the sensible thing for all of these courts to do. To your point, Hans, the Department of Justice, uh, from what I understand, ha has an election year sensitivity policy, essentially right. informal guidelines advising prosecutors uh, to be cautious about charging individuals involved in political activity or running for office close to that election. The purpose right. to avoid influencing the election outcome. This seems like it might be a little bit too close for comfort. Well, in fact, Jack Smith, the special counsel, is obviously violating uh, that rule, which is a long-standing rule. It was certainly there when I was at the Justice Department and dealing with these kinds of issues. He's clearly violating that rule uh, by these prosecutions. You know, think about the fact that he's, he's uh, prosecuting the president, for example, in the case before the Supreme Court, on what happened in 2021. And yet, what does he do? He, he waits. He waits until late in 2023 to actually 
file suit right before the presidential election season starts. Uh, I, I think, quite frankly, it's hard to believe that's anything other than an intentional act on, on, on behalf of the special prosecutor to interfere in the election process. So, Hans, if we haven't uh, confused our viewers enough yet with all this litigation, uh, one more to throw at you. Trump, Trump appealing an Illinois judge's ruling this week to remove right. him from the primary ballot there. Uh, the judge stayed the ruling pending the appeal. Do you think we'll see more states, judges, and groups trying to remove Trump from the ballot until the Supreme Court rules on it? Well, I do have to say that I think that was a sign of unbelievable arrogance by that local county judge to make any kind of ruling when that judge knew, knew that this case is pending before the U.S. Supreme Court. And keep in mind, that judge issued her decision after the state election board refused to remove him from the ballot. I, I think that actually was a very political act. And yeah, it may be repeated by other judges and state election officials around the country uh, but none of them should be acting while this case is pending before the Supreme Court. Hans von Spakovsky, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And coming up, President Biden announcing his administration will begin to airdrop humanitarian aid to Palestinians in Gaza. And the Senate GOP leadership race has begun with eight months to go before the election. Find out who's in the mix. That and more when we return. government can essentially rob you in plain sight? Former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan warned, deficit spending is simply a scheme for the confiscation of wealth. But he added, gold stands in the way of this insidious process. Birch Gold Group has helped thousands of Americans diversify their IRA or 401k into gold. To get a free info kit from Birch Gold, text PREPARE to 989898. Again, text PREPARE to 989898 right now. This is it, the culmination of everything our young athlete has worked for these past months. He's filled with determination. You can see it in his face. Is today the day he overcomes? And here we go. There is no defense in the world that will keep him at bay. He's on fire. Nothing can stop him. Watch him as he heads towards the goal. Oh, he's blocked hard, but that doesn't stop him. He's a warrior. He's back up. His eyes are on the goal. He's set up for the shot. He shoots. Goal! Achieving goals like this is only possible with the monthly support of people just like you. 
please call the number on your screen right now and give your monthly support to Shriners Hospitals for Children so other children can reach their goals too. If you give just $19 a month, only 63 cents a day, we will send you your very own Love to the Rescue Blanket as a reminder of the love you're giving us. Because of monthly support of people like you, nothing is stopping me from achieving my goals. And here we go. There is no defense in the world that will keep him at bay. He's going left. Oh, he fakes right and continues. Look at those moves. He takes the shot. Goal! Please call or go online now. If operators are busy, call again or go to loveshriners.org to give right away. Your monthly gift helps kids achieve their goals. Goal! And welcome back to the Capitol Report. I'm Steve Lance. President Biden is calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and is announcing new humanitarian measures in support of Palestinians. This comes one day after more than 100 Palestinians reportedly died during the chaos at a food distribution site in the Gaza Strip. We're uh, trying to uh, work out a deal between Israel and Hamas on the hostages being returned uh, and uh, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza for at least the next six weeks and, and to allow the surge of aid uh, to the entire Gaza Strip, not just the south, but the entire Gaza Strip. Now, President Biden has confirmed that his administration will begin airdrops of humanitarian aid into Gaza. The announcement was made during his meeting with Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney, who welcomed the news. According to the White House, the airdrops will begin in the coming days. And Republican senators already gearing up for a contest to replace GOP leader, Senate leader Mitch McConnell. It will be the first change in Republican Senate leadership in 18 years. Our Washington correspondent, Luis Martinez, has more. One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's announcement that he will be stepping down from his leadership role has added a new layer of complexity to this year's election cycle. For the next eight months, senators aspiring to succeed Leader McConnell will be carefully evaluated ahead of November's Senate GOP leadership elections. The so-called Three Johns, Senator John Thune of South Dakota, John Cornyn of Texas, and John Barrasso of Wyoming are the most prominent prospects. All three have been McConnell's deputies at some point in the last 17 years, and all three have endorsed former President Trump to become the party's presidential nominee. Republicans are aspiring to regain control of the White House and the Senate in November's elections. For some Republican senators, a fundamental quality the next GOP Senate leader should have is a good relationship with the party leader. And according to Senator Steve Marshall, that is Donald Trump. It's important, though, that whoever this leader is, that they share the same priorities as President Trump, uh, that they have the same goals, that it is important to have a good working relationship with that person. Former President Donald Trump has encouraged Senator Steve Daines from Montana to launch his own bid. Senator Daines is the National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, who challenged McConnell's leadership position and failed in 2022, is expected to seek the role again. The Senate Republican leadership elections will be in November after the presidential elections. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Luis Eduardo Martinez, 
NTD News. And on the Democratic side of the Senate, a new development in the corruption probe against Democratic Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey. New Jersey businessman Joe Uribe has agreed to cooperate with authorities after pleading guilty to seven charges. Some of those counts include conspiracy to commit bribery, fraud, and obstruction of justice. He's the first accused co-conspirator to enter a guilty plea. As part of the deal, he'll testify in court starting in May. Uribe was one of the three businessmen Menendez is accused of helping in exchange for gifts like gold bars and a Mercedes-Benz. Menendez is also accused of accepting bribes to help Egypt and Qatar. Despite pressure from both parties, the New Jersey Democrat denies the charges and has refused to step down. And that is all we have for you this evening on the Capitol Report. Thank you so much for watching. From the nation's capital in Washington, D.C., I'm Steve Lance. Have a nice evening. We'll see you back here on Monday.